Welcome to Wealth and Understanding, Conversations with the Riverview Trust Company. In this series, we hope to demystify the financial and estate planning process. We'd like to help our clients and friends make informed decisions that they feel good about. In today's episode, we're going to ask the question, do I really need a will? And the answer uh, is probably, but not necessarily. Uh, It depends upon a lot of different factors, uh, including the nature of your assets, the nature of your family, uh, and so forth. And we're going to refer back to some of the other podcasts that we've done uh, earlier in this series. So you may want to take an opportunity to catch up on those as well. But first, let's talk about what a will is. A will is a document that you sign during your lifetime, but that doesn't become effective until you die. And uh, wills go back, obviously, hundreds of years to uh, England, uh, but they are traditionally very formal affairs. That is, they have very strict rules about how they need to be witnessed and how they are executed, and a lot of states in the in the U.S. still follow those uh, restrictions. Some have become a little bit more liberal. But what happens with a will is it sets forth the wishes that you have for your the, dis, the disposition of your affairs at your passing. Uh, and really, it's the disposition of your assets, because at that point, you're not around anymore. And the way that the, those wishes are accomplished is that a will is admitted to probate. And probate is something that everybody uh, has heard of, at least in the movies or on TV, uh, and it doesn't have a very good reputation. And the reason for that is that the probate process is court-supervised, and and what happens is you name in your will an executor or a personal representative, and that's the person who's in charge of making sure that your wishes are fulfilled. And that personal representative takes the will and files it with the court and asks the court to accept it as the final will. And you have to hire an attorney to do that and get the paperwork right. And you have to give notice to all of the heirs and maybe people who should have been heirs but weren't. And they have to have an opportunity to object and say, no, that's not the will. I've got the final will right here. That almost never happens except in the movies, but sometimes it does. And uh, then once the court agrees that you have submitted the actual will and admits it to probate, then you have to allow for creditor claims to be filed. You have to go out and notice any particular creditors that you know of. You have to pay uh, the decedent's uh, bills, including the taxes that it might be due. And you have to file an accounting with the court that says how much money came in, where did it get spent, what's left over. And then finally, after all that, after the taxes are paid and the bills are paid and the accounting's done, you can distribute the assets to the people to whom they are uh, supposed to go under the will. Now, that process historically, as I say, has been very uh, lengthy and because it involves a lot of attorney time, uh, fairly expensive. And so for that reason, probate is not looked upon uh, very favorably uh, by a lot of people. But probate's not always uh, as bad as it's made out to be. 
uh, to begin with, a number of states, uh, Washington included, uh, have pretty liberal uh, probate processes now that are pretty streamlined and don't require uh, quite so much formality. And so if you live in a state that has streamlined its probate process, it might not be the worst thing in the world to have to go through a probate uh, when someone's passed away. Second, if you know that there's going to be a fight over your affairs, you know, let's say you have a, a closely held business and you're, you've got business partners who have disputes with you about how much of it you own or who's entitled to what, uh, opening up a probate is actually not a bad idea because it creates a ready-made uh, court format for resolving those disputes. If you had a revocable trust, for example, which we talked about in an earlier podcast, uh, you avoid probate, but that also means that the person who is contesting the document or challenging your ownership of assets would have to file a civil suit, which is much more expensive than a, than a probate process is. So probate, in some limited circumstances, can, can actually be a good thing. But even if it's a, a streamlined process or even if it's necessary, it's not something that you want to look forward to. Uh, people don't um, file probates just for fun. And it can be avoided uh, depending upon the way that you own your assets. We talked in an earlier podcast about titling uh, and where do my assets go when I die. And there are, as we discussed, there are a number of uh, types of property that pass outside of probate. First, anything that's joint tenancy with right of survivorship or tenants by the entireties if you're a husband and wife in a separate property state like Oregon. In that case, when one joint owner dies, the other joint owner takes the property automatically, regardless of what the will says. So probate's not applicable to those assets. Second, there's life insurance proceeds, and those pass according to a beneficiary designation. Third, there are retirement plan assets, and those pass the same way. There's a When you set up a retirement plan, they pass at your death uh, according to the beneficiary designation you filled out, not according to your will. Now, if you don't fill out a beneficiary designation, then they will pass under your will, and that would require a probate. So that's a good reason to always check to make sure that your beneficiary designations on your life insurance and retirement plans are current. A fourth category are TOD or POD accounts. And TOD stands for transfer on death. POD stands for payable on death. They really mean the same thing. Um, and we talked about them just very briefly in our last podcast, but I want to go into those in more detail. If I own a bank account in my own name, and at my passing, it should pass under my will. But if I set it up as a TOD, t transfer on death account, then it essentially converts from being a probate asset into uh, a beneficiary designation asset. So if I uh, set up a transfer on death or payable on death uh, addendum, essentially, to my bank account, uh, it passes to the person that I name uh, on that form, not under my will. So this can cause problems. If your will says, uh, I leave everything to my children equally, but you set up your bank account with one child only uh, as the person to whom the account is payable at death, that one child receives the entire bank account and it's not divided among 
the children equally. And that can, uh, depending upon the size of the account relative to the rest of the other assets, that can create uh, quite a bit of problems. This leads to another question, which is what happens if you die without a will? Uh, well, if you die without a will and your property doesn't pass in the ways that I just mentioned automatically to somebody else, then the laws of intestacy apply. Intestacy is uh, the legal term for dying without a will, essentially. And what happens in that event is that there is a list in every state uh, under their probate statutes that defines what happens to your property if you die without a will. And typically what happens is if you if you die with a spouse, then everything goes to the spouse. Uh, if you die with a spouse but with children from a prior marriage, then often it goes half to the to those children and then half the other half to the spouse. If you die without a spouse but with children, then the children get everything. If you die without a spouse or without children, it goes often up to your parents, then out to your siblings and, and so on, and it's all laid out by uh laid out by statute as to how you, so everybody has an estate plan basically uh if you don't have a will that you wrote yourself the state has written one for you so does this mean that if i own my property with some kind of survivorship or beneficiary designation feature that i can do without a will uh, well, sometimes the answer is yes. For example, uh, when I was a young professional uh, and I was an estate planning attorney, my wife and I uh, had no wills, even though I could have drafted them myself for, for nothing. And the reason for that was that everything we owned, you know, our, we're, we're going to pass outside of probate. Our bank accounts were joint tenancy with right of survivorship. Our home was tenants by the entireties, which means it passed uh, automatically to the other one of us. Um, I had some life insurance. I had some retirement plans, and that was about it. And everything that we owned uh, was going to pass uh, outside of probate if one of us died. And if both of us died in a common accident, um, it would have gone to our parents. And, um, you know, I'm sorry, uh, sorry, Mom, but we didn't really care that much uh, if we were both gone because uh, there was no kids to plan for, and we just figured it's highly unlikely that it would happen, and so we were willing to take that chance. But there are some drawbacks to not having uh, an estate plan set out in the form of a will uh, or a revocable trust. First of all, you can't appoint guardians of your children if you have minor children. Um, you basically, in a will, nominate somebody to become your children's guardians if you are not able to do so, if you and your spouse uh pass away in a common accident. And um, if you don't have a will, you, it's, it's a lot harder to do that. Uh, second and equally important, you can't plan for alternate distribution following a common accident. So in, in my case, you know, we relied on intestacy for uh, the disposition of my assets and my wife's assets uh, if we died in a common accident. And that was, that was okay because we were young and it was unlikely and um, we didn't have any kids. But if I wanted one asset to go to one kid and one asset to go to another kid, if I did have children, uh, I wouldn't be able to do that. I would just, it would just get divided equally among them. If uh, one of my children had, uh, or, or, or another area, even if I didn't have children, had special needs, uh, that I wanted to attend to by creating a trust for their benefit, I couldn't do that without a will. 
And uh, just as a side note, you know, we, we, we talked about revocable versus irrevocable trusts in an earlier podcast. It is possible to create a will, uh, a trust rather, inside of a will so that the trust is created, let's say it's trust for your kids, is created through the probate process and the terms of the trust agreement are contained inside the will. So they doesn't, you don't have to have one or the other. You can actually have both. You can die with a will and the will creates the trust at your death. But uh, not being able to plan for alternate distributions is a, is a drawback to not having a will. Uh, finally, if you have a revocable trust, you have to have a will anyway. It's what's called a pour-over will, and it says that anything that I own in my own name individually that I forgot to put in the name of the trust during my life, please put it into the trust after my passing. And that's important because let's say I create a revocable living trust. And again, we talked about revocable living trusts earlier in another podcast. So if you want to learn more, you can refer back to that. Uh, But let's say I created a revocable trust and I leave everything uh, in further trust for my kids. And then a couple years after that, I open up a new uh, investment account and I put it in my own name and I don't put it in the name of the trust in my name as trustee. Well, in that case, uh, the asset would have to pass through probate because it wasn't titled in my name as trustee. And I want to make sure if that did happen, that it uh, would pass through the probate into the trust so that it could go into the provisions that I created, arranged for my kids. And finally, if you want to leave property to charity, you need to have a will or a revocable living trust with a will. Because in testacy, which is, of course, what happens if you die without a will does not allow for gifts to charity. It only allows for gifts to family members, even distant family members. So to conclude, do you need a will? The answer is probably. Uh, Even though it's possible to create your plan through succession by joint tenancy or through beneficiary designation or through TOD and POD accounts, there are a number of drawbacks. Uh, you, you can't appoint guardians uh, of minor children if you have them. You can't plan for alternate distributions of assets following a common accident with you and your main uh, beneficiary. And one final note on uh, online will and trust drafting programs. Uh, they produce documents that are pretty good, and yes, they do work. Uh, but what you lack with a, a online drafting program is the insight of a professional who's seen a number of different circumstances and who can suggest alternates, uh, solutions to problems that you may not have thought of yourself. And so, uh, even though it's possible to use the online programs and they produce documents that are perfectly effective, uh, we really do recommend, uh, in almost all cases that you work with an attorney, uh, to help you enact your, wishes uh, in the most effective way possible. This podcast was written and produced by Riverview Trust Company, which is solely responsible for its content. Although we've discussed generally some legal concepts, Riverview Trust Company does not provide legal advice. You should consult with your own attorney to decide whether the general ideas that we've presented in this podcast are right for you. Post-production work was done, and our theme music was created by James Klein. Thanks for listening.